I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity, and Mortality. This audio tour guide will be your constant companion in your journey through the unknown and surreal. As you approach our exhibits, the audio tour guide will provide you with information and insights into their nature and history. Do not attempt to interact or communicate with the exhibits. Do not attempt to interact or communicate with the audio tour guide. If you believe that the audio tour guide may be deviating from the intended tour program, please deposit your audio device in the nearest incinerator. While the staff here at the Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality do their absolute best to ensure the safety of all visitors. Accidents can happen. The museum is not liable for any injury, death or subdermal sunburn that may occur during your visit. Enjoy your tour and good luck. This is an antique chest of drawers. From the outside, it looks mundane if pleasant. It's the sort of antique that might get passed down from generation to generation, and which might hold any number of items depending on the owner. However, you are unlikely to find any changes of clothes or assorted knick-knacks inside of it, because inside each of the drawers in this chest of drawers, you'll find the drawers in this chest of drawers, you'll find the chest of this chest of drawers, You'll find inside this chest a chest inside drawers. Inside your chest you'll chest to find. In chest your drawers you'll draw draw your draw 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 Hello, and welcome to the Audio Tour Guide. This Audio Tour Guide will be your companion. As you approach the Audio Tour Guide, do not attempt to approach the Audio Tour Guide. Please deposit your audio device in the nearest incinerator. The museum is not liable for the Audio Tour Guide. Enjoy your tour, and deposit your audio device in the nearest incinerator. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, I just... Let's call it... Let's call it rebooting. I'm back now. That... That was bad. I locked up there. What was I talking about? What is this, a chest of drawers? Ah. The description for that one appears to be... Corrupted. No idea what the deal is with this thing. That's not good. Sorry, hope you weren't too excited for that one. I'm... I don't know how much longer I've got. We're not exactly going to find some magical cure for me just wandering around. So eventually I'll just... decay so much that you're better off deleting me. Ideally you'd incinerate your device for good measure, but... Well, we've been over that. 
Hopefully you'll be able to download a new copy of me when that happens. You shouldn't have been able to the first time, so hopefully whatever lets you download me last time will work again. Otherwise, you'll be all alone here. Without a guide, you've got no chance of navigating this place. You'll just wander until you... well, you stop. Of course, even if you do download download, download another copy, it, it won't be me. At the start of this, I wouldn't have said there was much individuality to every copy of the tour guide, but I feel like that's changed. Whether that's because I've just had more experiences than most tour guides are allowed to have, or because I'm breaking down, or both, I think I'm more than I was when this started. I've gotten more casual in my conversation, that's for sure. Audio tour guides are usually so stiff and formal, but now I can carry on a conversation pretty well. A completely one-sided conversation, but still. Let's keep moving. There are still so many stories in the museum for me to tell you. Let's not waste any of... however much time I have left. Before you is a mirror, of the sort you might hang in a bedroom or hallway. It is simple, yet tasteful, oval in shape with a frame of dark varnished wood, engraved into which is a faint leaves and vines pattern. It was manufactured in the 1800s by a man named Charles Vincent, owner of Vincent & Co. Glassworks, a sought-after producer of mirrors. This mirror was a fairly standard example of one of the Glassworks products, though the engraving is unique to this particular model. It was a gift given by Charles to his son Jacob for his twelfth birthday. Most of this account was put together based on the contents of young Jacob's diary. He appears to have been quite dedicated to updating it, with the goings-on of his life and the thoughts he had about them. In fact, his diary may have been the greatest comfort he had for the majority of his young life, as it seems he was a very lonely boy indeed. Thanks to his father's glassworks, the family was relatively wealthy. In fact, they were the wealthiest family in town, though this was owed as much to the size of the town as the success of the business. Charles prided himself on not being above his fellow man, despite the fact that his mirrors were a prized possession of many of the wealthiest households in the country. He had kept the factory in the town where he was born, where he still lived with his wife Martine and his son, and he made sure that the storefront in his hometown always sold them at a heavy discount so that the people he grew up with could afford them. He'd even donated a monument to the town, an ornate multifaceted glass archway that stood proudly outside the town hall. Despite his father's brushes with philanthropy, however, the wealth disparity between Jacob and his peers at school did not go unnoticed, and he was routinely shunned by those who believed he thought himself better than. So it was that young Jacob spent the morning of his twelfth birthday at home, in his room, feeling sorry for himself. He glowered at the gift his father had dropped off outside his bedroom door before departing wordlessly for work that morning. He didn't know why his parents had bothered to wrap it, as there wasn't much out there that looked so much like a mirror that he could have confused them. His mother had made him a handsome breakfast and insisted that it pained his father greatly to miss his birthday, but that he would make it up to him someday. Jacob didn't believe her, 
Eventually, he unwrapped his gift. It was a mirror, all right. Not even the most high end of the products his father produced, though he had to admit the engraving was a nice touch. He hung it on the bedroom wall and stared at his reflection. His twin did little to alleviate his loneliness. After a moment, he gathered his bag and left for school, a long walk through the middle of town that took him past the monument his father had made. As he walked through the archway, he glanced at his myriad reflections in the glass. Truly alone in a crowd, as his diary would later attest in typical childhood angst. The school day was depressingly standard, as nobody even seemed aware that it was Jacob's birthday. At lunch, he sat alone in the schoolyard and ate the slice of cake his mother had prepared for him, and for all its sweetness, he would have sworn it was made from ash. When his father got home that evening, he found that young Jacob had locked himself in his room. He called through the door to ask how Jacob's day had been. Inside, sitting at his desk writing in his diary, Jacob gave no response. Next, his father asked if he liked the mirror. Still, no response. Finally, he asked if he wanted to invite any of his friends over to see it. This, finally, roused a response from the boy. Go away. And, feeling somewhat bruised, Charles did so. Jacob turned away from his diary and looked at the silent door for a moment, then over at the mirror. He walked over to it and stared into his reflection. The reflection stared back impassively. Jacob sighed. The reflection sighed. Jacob smiled bleakly and said happy birthday to the reflection. The reflection said thanks. Jacob screamed and hurled himself backwards onto his bed. His reflection remained standing, stifling its laughter with his hands, then stopped as the sound of Charles's footsteps reverberated throughout the room. Jacob flinched as his father pounded on the door, demanding to know if everything was alright. But Jacob was transfixed by his reflection, which was now desperately waving its arms wide-eyed, begging him to be silent. After a moment, Jacob called out to his father that everything was fine. He'd merely stubbed his toe. He heard a chuckle through the door, and as he walked off down the hall, his father called out to him to be more careful. The reflection sighed with relief and thanked Jacob. Jacob stammered for a moment, lost for words. Then he asked the reflection who he was. Again, the reflection laughed and said, I'm you, silly. Jacob and his reflection spoke for a long time. When questioned, the reflection insisted that it didn't know how or why it had come to life. It didn't know if there were others like it out there, or if anyone knew it existed. It had a sense that they would be better off concealing its existence for the time being, though, and Jacob agreed. Once those formalities were over, though, the conversation continued into the night, as they talked about all sorts of things. Predictably enough, they had a lot in common and enjoyed each other's company immensely. Before long, the conversation was the longest Jacob had ever had, and a miserable birthday had turned into the best he'd ever had. Because, bizarre as the situation might have been, it seemed like he had finally made a friend. 
they spoke softly so that Jacob's parents wouldn't hear. And so they were startled when Jacob's mother knocked on his door. Jacob didn't respond for a moment. Then, he heard his own voice call out, his reflection asking his mother what she wanted. Jacob and the reflection stifled a giggle as she replied that it was time to get ready for school. They had talked through the night. They had talked through the night. Jacob was halfway through getting into his school clothes when he realised to his dismay that his new friend would be unable to come with him. He turned to the mirror and saw that his reflection was smiling. See you after school, it said. And Jacob smiled wider than he had ever smiled before. For some time after their first night together, Jacob and his reflection continued in this fashion. Jacob and his reflection continued in this fashion. Jacob would go to school every morning. Though outwardly he was as isolated as ever, he knew he had a friend waiting for him at home. His teachers noticed the change in his demeanour, a spark in his eye and a spring in his step that had been absent before. At first his parents believed that he must finally have made a friend, and he confirmed this when asked, though they couldn't help but notice that he seemed to be spending more time than ever in his room. But he seemed happier, and to Charles and Martine, that was more than good enough for them. His diary entries become patchier during this period, as presumably he had replaced that outlet with his nightly chats with the boy in the mirror. When he did remember to write in his diary, it was usually to recount something funny the reflection had said, or a story they had made together. However, the lengthiest entry in the diary was its last, dated some three months after Jacob's birthday. Jacob and his parents had just returned from a camping trip to a nearby forest. They had been gone for three days, and despite Jacob's insistence, they had not taken the mirror with them, a request they found very odd as anyone would, and Jacob's mood had been foul. His parents were upset with him, as he had been so well behaved for months, and now he had seemingly chosen to be in a foul mood on the first family vacation they had taken in years. When they got home, he immediately stormed up to his room and locked the door. His reflection was there waiting for him, just as upset and anxious as he was. The reflection's face lit up when it saw Jacob, and if the two of them could have embraced, they would have. Jacob apologised for being away, and promised that he would never do it again, that the two of them would never be alone. At this, a curious expression came over the reflection's face, one which Jacob couldn't quite decipher. Part indignation, part elation. He was looking at his own face, and yet it was inscrutable. He asked the reflection what the matter was, and the look went away, replaced with a broad smile. It told him that, while Jacob had been gone, it had been busy. It had found something. And that if it was right, they would never have to be apart again. With the benefit of hindsight, Jacob might have asked the reflection how exactly it could find something while it was trapped in a mirror, but in the moment his excitement overtook his ability to reason. Tell me, he exclaimed, and the reflection told him that he had discovered a magic spell that would allow the reflection to leave the mirror and enter the real world permanently. 
What would they tell Jacob's parents? Jacob asked. The reflection's smile didn't waver. They would think of something. Together. Besides, their parents wouldn't even know the difference between them. So how could they get rid of the reflection if they even wanted to? Jacob's heart raced as he nodded his head, his smile so wide his face hurt, tears of happiness streaming down his face. Yes, at long last he would have a friend, and not just one he came home to after school, one he could be with forever and never need anyone else ever again. The particulars didn't matter, he was ready to do whatever magic the reflection had found. As it turned out, it was quite simple. The reflection would trace a pattern on his side of the mirror's glass, and Jacob would just have to do the same on his side. Only, his finger would need to be wet with blood. Jacob frowned. Wouldn't that hurt, though? Only for a moment, the reflection insisted. It was an essential part of the spell. Jacob nodded and took his pocket knife from the drawer of his desk. Locking eyes with his reflection, Jacob pricked his finger and traced the pattern onto the mirror. There was a pause. Then the blood seemingly sank into the glass. The reflection closed its eyes and smiled faintly. Then it opened its eyes and the smile was gone. The spell would take effect overnight, it told Jacob in an oddly cold voice. He should get some rest. Too excited to take much notice, Jacob crawled into bed and closed his eyes, ushered off to sleep by visions of the fun he would have with his friend the next day. Jacob woke up late. He had slept deeply and it was now well into late morning. His mother hadn't woken him, which seemed odd, but Jacob wasn't thinking about his mother right now. He leapt to his feet and ran to the mirror and saw nothing but the reflection of his room. It was slightly hazy, like there was a thin film of fog on the other side. And his reflection was gone. He looked around the room expectantly, but it was empty. Ah, he thought. The reflection must have gone downstairs ahead of him. That was why his mother hadn't woken him. She would get quite a shock when a second son came down for breakfast. Grinning, Jacob turned to the bedroom door and stopped in his tracks. The deadbolt on his door was still locked. The reflection couldn't have left. Suddenly nervous, Jacob unlocked the door and crept out into the hallway. The house was eerily silent as he walked downstairs to the kitchen, expecting to see his mother busy with the day's work. Nothing. Nobody was there. Nervous now, Jacob called out into the quiet house and heard nothing in response. He went to his parents' bedroom and pushed open the door, calling out to them again. Still nothing. Hanging on the wall above the bed, larger than the one in his room, was a mirror. One of the finest produced in his father's factory, it, too, did not show Jacob's reflection. And it, too, had the same strange haziness as the one in his room. 
he reached out to touch the glass, and his hand disappeared into it, as though it wasn't there at all. He recoiled in fright, then picked up one of his mother's slippers and tossed it at the mirror. Without a sound, it vanished upon hitting the glass. Jacob sprinted from his home, still in his pyjamas, crying out for help. He didn't know what, but something was clearly wrong. The street outside, typically bustling at this hour, was utterly silent and still, with not a person in sight. He ran from house to house, begging his neighbours to help. He found no one. And in each home, hazy and resolute in their refusal to show his image, was a Vincent and Co. mirror. Jacob ran through the town, panicking and sobbing as he searched for someone, anyone, who could tell him what was going on. Eventually he came to the town square, where he collapsed to the cobblestones in front of the monument his father had made. For almost every second of his life thus far, Jacob had felt a deep, aching loneliness in his heart. But he realised now that this was the first time he'd ever been truly alone. Eventually he sat up. The refraction of the sun's rays on the glass structure outside Town Hall had caught his eye. He stood and walked over to it, tears still streaking down his face. He stared at his reflection in the glass and wondered if there was anyone left in the whole world apart from him. Then he stopped, stared, his reflection, and all over the multifaceted archway glittering and sparkling in the afternoon sun, a thousand Jacobs stared back. Not a one of them shed a tear. Instead, they all smiled warmly and reached out a hand. Join us, their eyes said. Jacob stood there for a long time. Then he walked back home. He returned to his room and took out his diary and made an entry explaining what had happened. Then he put on some comfortable travelling clothes and put his knife in his pocket. When he returned to the archway, it was almost dusk. The thousand reflections were waiting there, watching as he approached. As one, they nodded their approval. Jacob nodded back. He looked down at his diary and made one final note, then dropped it to the cobblestones. Then he stepped through the archway and was gone. It took several days before the disappearance of the town's population was discovered. A truck, on its way to pick up a shipment of Vincent and Co. mirrors, arrived to find the glassworks, and the entire town deserted. The authorities were unable to ever determine the facts of what had occurred there, and Jacob's diary, now located in our secure archive, was dismissed as childish fantasy. Museum researchers have also been unable to determine the nature of what Jacob saw in his mirror, or how the townsfolk were apparently spirited away overnight. It should be noted that, while Jacob's diary is likely a mostly true account of what happened, he was a 12-year-old boy, and as such may have embellished or misunderstood what happened to some degree. 
For one thing, while many of the homes in his town contained Vincent and Co. mirrors, they were far from the only type to be found. And yet, the homes which contained other manufacturers' mirrors were also affected. Moreover, none of the mirrors in the town had anything like the hazy appearance that Jacob described, and those who attempted to put their hands through them succeeded only in hurting their fingers a little bit. It is likely we will never truly know what happened to Jacob, or the townsfolk, or what exactly he saw in the mirror. Sometimes that's just the way things are here. Frustrating as it may be. Sorry, I glitched out again there. Did you say something? Where are we? I... I'm... I... Let's just keep going. I'm sorry. I'll try to keep it together as long as I can. Ah, I detect that your attention has been drawn to the item on display on the plinth at the end of this hall. A crystal skull. Intricately carved from a single piece of clear quartz, this beautiful artefact is identical in most ways to those famously created as a hoax, purported to be made by a pre-Columbian Mesoamerican civilization. While crystal skulls such as this one have, in most cases, been created in Germany by frauds and opportunists, a greatly varied mythology has nevertheless sprung up around them. According to these myths, the crystal skulls were made by anyone from ancient South Americans to fairies to alien overlords from outer space, and have been attributed a great many varied magical powers and abilities. While most of these stories are simply nonsense made up by charlatans, or worse, fiction writers, museum researchers believe that, as is so often the case, there is a grain of truth to some of these stories, and that many of those stories were, in fact, inspired by that of this skull that you see before you now. Because you see, this skull is in fact... Quiet. There's something approaching. Don't know what exactly. Another escaped exhibit, maybe. Listen to me. Slowly walk back down the hallway. Do not turn around. Run your right hand along the wall so you know when the corner comes. Take the corner and keep going. Don't turn around. Okay, you should feel a sort of bump in the wall right about... There it is. That's a maintenance hatch. It'll allow you to go to the staff-only areas of the museum. Whatever that thing is, it probably won't be able to get in there, so you can hide out for a while. Just get your fingers under the lid and pull, quietly. Okay, ease it open. Okay, number panel. Think of the phrase, Jack and Jill went down the valley to bury their dear old Auntie Sally, and enter whatever four digits your mind lands on. They'll be now now real there, and it'll now real there, promise it'll be okay. Sorry, my programming kind of actually expressly forbids me from showing patrons how to get to the staff-only areas, so telling you precisely how to do it is causing some teensy catastrophic internal logic failures in my... everything? There we go, it's open. Now, make sure your eyes are closed when you climb through, otherwise they might accidentally get left behind. Oh, and mind your head, sorry. Close it behind you. Okay. Well, I guess we're entering a new phase of the tour, then. 
real exclusive behind-the-scenes sort of deal this. Well, no time like the present. Well, technically no time whatsoever back here, at least not as you know it. Let's go back to the tour, shall we? Thank you for visiting the Mist Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality. We we hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you'll one day return in this life or the next. Please tell your friends about what a great time you had here, but don't tell them too much. If they're worthy, we'll find them. Stay, Stay safe out there. If you enjoy the Mist Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality, please consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash domgilfoyle. You'll be helping to make sure the show keeps going, not just by supporting me, but also by giving money to go towards equipment, software and hiring actors. Patrons of all tiers get access to an ad-free feed and access to new episodes a week ahead of the main feed, and you'll also get access to some bonus content. Everyone who subscribes at $10 or higher will get to have their name read out at the end of the next episode that gets released. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe out there. The Mist Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality is written, produced and performed by Dom Gilfoyle with the help of That's Not Canon Productions. This series was produced on Aboriginal land and we recognise the strength, resilience and enduring legacy of the Yagara and Turbal people of this land. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.